All right, everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am TJ Van Toll, and with me today on the panel is Paige Niedringhaus. Hey, everyone. As well as Jack Harrington. Hello, everybody. And our special guest for today is Travis Waithmeyer. Travis, how's it going? It's going great. Well, this is, it's awesome to have you here. Why don't you start by telling people who you are, what you do, why you're famous, all that good stuff. I think the word is infamous. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm the creator of Bedrock Layout Primitives Library, a library to help to compose, make composing layouts in React easier. And I recently released a course based off that called Composing Layouts in React. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Very cool. So maybe at a high level, you could explain like the layouting world in React today. Like I think we probably have listeners of various levels of degree and there's a whole lot of CSS specifications out there that are at various stages. So maybe you could just start with just a layout is like, where is layout in React today? Well, I think it kind of goes to more of like, where's like CSS in React today in general, which yep. is, I would say like fractured is probably the, <laughs> the nicest way to say it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think mostly because, I don't know, there's kind of two camps. There's the, the I would call like CSS purist, where like I learned with in early 2000s, best practices of them. We have one style sheet or we have a couple style sheets, but we compose all those. We do it for the H, for our HTML directly. And that's how you do it. it even the purest of the pure won't even use SAS or anything like that. Any tool. <laughs> uh, they know exactly how to do it. They manage that, that style sheet and great more power to them. Then you have the other side, the other extreme, I think, which is like your, I hate CSS and everything about it. And I'm going to find any way I can not to, technically write a line of CSS in my life and have some way that something else writes CSS. And then there's all the other extremes in the middle. And the fact that like React doesn't technically say anything other than we allow you to do class names and style. And that's like the only opinion that they give kind of encourages that fraction. <laughs> so which part, which camp are you in? Or do you have strong opinions? Like, cause, cause you have a library in this. So clearly you have at least some, <laughs> some stance on, on the matter. Yeah. So my stance on it is I'm going to use tooling when it makes sense, but like to stay as close to like writing actual CSS as much as I can. So I use the library that I've written is actually built on top of style components. And that's 100% practicality. Like, when I decided to write this library to give a, a few steps backwards, I've been part of two different design systems, both of which I, we were never given permission to open source. And I finally kind of got sick of it. And the layout part of it is the part that like was my bread and butter, the part that like I really like, brought to the table. 
So the second time that that happened, I'm like, well, I'm just going to open source a layout library because I'm tired of like recreating these like layout components. Every time I start a new project, I'm going to open, make my own library just to satisfy my own needs. And given that I'm satisfying my own needs, I typically always bring style components in. So I just like, I'm just going to make the decision to use style components. But like, why do I like style components? Is it's you're writing CSS. It's all you're doing tag template literals technically, but like it's ultimately you're writing CSS. But I, I can add sprinkle in logic using my language of choice, which is JavaScript. I don't have to learn like SAS or less or some other language and learn a new domain specific language. I'm using like the domains that I'm already using, which is JavaScript to create those mix-ins, to create those kind of flavors. And the more and more CSS expands, actually I'm using JavaScript less and less. I use much more custom properties than I used to, things like that. So how long have you, or how long did it take you to go from, I am really tired of having to reinvent the wheel every time I start a new project to actually having what you would consider a working CSS or bedrock layout primitive library to go to use? I did it over a week, uh, mostly because like I had just done them so many times that I'm like, this was like, it was just going through the motions at that first, just to get something, the first kind of iteration. I didn't have a, the complete library that I have now, but like just to have those first like basic primitives, things like a stack that it stacks things on top of each other with space, um, inline, and things like that, just some basic things that I just use the most. Yeah, it was probably a week, but that's just because I had done it so many other times and so many other products. It was just like going through the motions at that point. All right. Could you give so us just like a quick list of like the sort of components you can drop in? So you mentioned like stack, maybe you just to help like my brain organize this, like could you list like five or six of these things that you can drop in? Yeah, yeah. Like, and if you want, you can, there's a whole list of them at the website. Well, and the other thing I kind of did differently, like, I don't know why I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make this like a proper library, not just like put things on NPM because I've done that before. But I decided I'm going to create a logo and all that. So I went into Fiverr. <laughs> That's how you know you're serious. That's how make a logo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in a way, it was kind of like my little like, like thumb in my nose at my old company for not letting me open source this. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go and do this properly in the open source and build like a, a community and if I can around this. But yeah, the uh, kind of the ones, the basic ones that like, I bring in like almost every project are things like a stack where it's just designed entirely to stack things on top of each other and create consistent spacing in between them. The, the other one is inline, which is basically a horizontal stack, but there's, it was originally started out as an inline now it's an in, there's two different variations. It's called an inline and an inline cluster, depending on that style. Because sometimes you want to have it kind of work like a paragraph where like, as I run out of space, I want to just start wrapping, but I still want each item to just take up the same amount of space that it naturally would. I don't want it to stretch or fill in gaps. I just want it to just start wrapping like words on a paragraph. So I call it, that's an inline cluster where in the inline, you're just sticking straight on, sticking things in line. And then once again, all these are built around the concept of like, how do we create a consistent spacing scheme? So all of these have like a gutter prop where you can like define not in actual like CSS length, but like I adopted a t-shirt sizing thing. So this is, some will have like a large space or an extra large space or a medium space. And then as this started to kind of grow, there's a, there was a company called Clavio that got really interested. Like we're really interested in adopting this. 
but your spacing scheme doesn't match our spacing scheme. So I've grown, it's grown and adapted that you can override the spacing scheme that I chose because this is how I like to work, but totally acknowledge every design system, every website has their own spacing scheme that you can totally override it and just use your own and it'll just work. Cool. So usually I see component libraries having this built into it. Like I was just using material for one project and it's got stack or it's got grid, I guess now and older versions of stack and that sort of thing. So if I'm in one of those, why would I just playing devil's advocate? Why would I use bedrock in addition to that? I, and I did the same thing. I went through and like, just to get even inspiration for things that I could start adding. I started looking through like material and ant and anything like that just to see what other things I can add. And it was interesting to me that there were some that were universal, like a stack or an inline. But like, as you started getting to other like pretty specific things, they didn't have those. So I have, I have some really like much more, I guess you call them edge casey, but there's ones that I still use common enough that I built, I took the time to build it. Things like a, even just like centering, there's a center component. Interesting, like how I never, I didn't find that in any component library that I could find. The concepts are like, I'm just going to put this and it automatically just centers, no matter the context, whether it's a, you're in a CSS. Well, that group, is a thing. Like, certainly yeah. centering horizontally is always like this. Like centering vertically, <laughs> or centering vertically is always a pain in the butt. Centering horizontally is pretty easy, but centering vertically is like, ah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then like there's this component called the cover component that centers vertically. And the idea was like, you can now like, compose a center inside of a cover and now you can vertically and horizontally center as you need to but yeah like it was like nobody no one library out there had all of these components some of them had a little bit of that some some had a little bit of others but given that like my focus was just layout i wasn't going to try to create a button i'm not going to try to create a card i wasn't going to try to create anything else focusing on just layout it's really kind of helped me like find all the common enough cases that are like almost universal in every app even like i shouldn't like i said just kind of edge casey but still like not 100 edge casey that it's still you see it often enough that you still do it and it's still convenient once you pull it out yeah so i since, definitely get it so since you've built this kind of layout specific framework it does it use a layout like you might expect in something like bootstrap where there's columns or there's rows or there's some way for you to say i want this to only take up like three columns and then the rest of the space just goes to whatever else is there? Is it like grid in that way or more like Flexbox or just completely different again? The biggest thing for me when I created these that like the technology that was being used under the hood should be abstracted away. So whether I'm using CSS grid or CSS Flexbox, the, the user shouldn't know that. And so that was one thing that was important to me that yeah, there is a grid, but it's not and it's technically using CSS grid, but that's not what it's used for. It's about creating a responsive grid. There, to answer your question, there is a columns component that I use when you want to use that that Twitter bootstrap style where you're like, I want a four column layout, but like it's you're not defined. You get to define how many columns are in your layout. It's not a 12 column layout that you then have to go do mental math where you're like, okay, I want 12 out of 12 columns, I want four. So that means three you know you're not trying to do that <laughs> you're just like i just want four columns and then it'll work and then you can set spans and offsets on individual items through composable components but yeah but other than that there's other things where it's like i just want things to work in line 
And that's really what I try to name these things is based like, what are you trying to accomplish? Not like, what's the technology that's being used? And so like, yeah, I want a stack of things. So it's, we're going to use a stack. I want something that is in this one case, it's a real, I want something to, to start overflowing and have, it's an inline, but it actually will have a scroll bar built into it. So it's around like thinking about like what you're trying to do rather than like, what's the technology behind it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really like how you just position this entire conversation of like the CSS purist versus like the, I don't know, like CSS antagonists, I, or I guess like the people who are, yeah, CSS haters is probably, the, is probably a better way of phrasing it. Because I feel like over my career, I've been in both roles at different times because I like, I drank the CSS Kool-Aid went like all in on like, I'm going to keep my CSS pure as the browser wants it to be. But then over time, I also come to realize that it can be quite hard if you're looking at a, a bunch of HTML and you're not sure what's going on because you're reliant on like, oh, this class name ha- has some CSS defined elsewhere that puts it like display flex, justify content center, align items or whatever, which can work. But it's also like a little, there's a little bit of indirection there. You can't just look at it and say like, oh, OK, I know what this is doing. Whereas with a library like this, it's like you look at this and it's sort of self-explanatory. The markup sort of describes what's going on there. So I can see some benefits to that as well. I don't really have a question here. I'm just just basically saying I, I, I'm actually curious, Jack Page, like where, where you're at with this as well. Like which, what approaches you, you tend to take? Because right now I'm, I'm kind of like torn. I don't, it's like a project by project basis for me. I have mostly been in the SCSS and SAS camps. I dabbled really briefly in CSS and JS, but at my last job, we had to make a decision when we were building a new React application of if we wanted to start using styled components or if we wanted to go with something that was more separated. And one of the other staff engineers on the team was very much in the separation of concerns camp where your CSS is not with your JavaScript, which actually turned out to be fine because we had some really, really large components or things that grew to be very large and complex. And having to also keep track of their styles in those files would have just made them extremely long and unwieldy. So I think that it worked out for the best in addition to the fact that we then started using the Ant Ant Design Library in our application about halfway through its life. So I I like keeping it separate personally, but I know that that's just a very personal opinion that a lot of people have different feelings about. That's kind of where I am, though. I kind of still like that separation of concerns and being able to scope. Because with the ability that we have now to scope scope CSS files to particular components with React or with other things, it it seems like a lot of the issues that we had of, of colliding styles and overriding certain things has largely gone away, which is great because that I know was one of the biggest complaints about CSS from the the very beginning. It's that cascade. <laughs> right, the, the, the cascading in the title. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's like, was there a third area of people actually use the cascade? Because I don't think that I, you know, nobody does that. Or I don't know. I guess Bootstrap still does the cascade and, and the sort of traditional foundational libraries. I'm sort of in the tailwind camp. Is that where does that fit in this this ontology? Well, it's, one thing that I wanted in this with my library was yeah, it was built on styled components, but I didn't want it to be you have to then go all in on styled components for everything else. So if you had your so it it takes class names and styles and it all of these can be styled 
independently, they're all divs technically, but they all have an as prop. So you can change the underlying markup if you ever like, yeah, I want this to be an article technically, or this needs to be a nav, but then this nav needs to do all these inline things or these grid things inside of it. So, and I also acknowledge when I just made that that decision to adopt out of the bonus, that it's not going to be for everybody, that there's going to be concern. There, there's legitimate concerns about CSS and JS because it's real time, it's runtime bundling of your styles. And in some apps, that's perfectly fine. That's not a big deal. But certain apps, that's a that's a performance hit and they can't adopt something like that. And so once you like I I decided from the get-go, I wasn't going to try to create something for everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna create something for one user. And so technically the only user is me. And so I'm gonna make this work for me. And then as <laughs> other people also adopt it, we'll make it work for them as well. I'm actually curious because that's been a showstopper for me in the past that the, the runtime calculation nature of CSS and JavaScript. I know that a lot of these frameworks were working on making those, basically doing some magic so that they the styles were applied at build time, right? So like there wasn't this additional step of like render your component and then like sort of apply the styles. Do you know like where, like if there's been any work on that? Because I know the, a lot of these libraries Anytime I see a blog post from them, like performance is what they talk about all the time. Cause I think they know that it's a common concern. Yeah. And there's, they made huge strides as far as runtime performance. But yeah, it's still there. But I do, yeah, same as you. Like I don't keep track of that as often because it's not something that like I personally have needed. So I don't follow it as strictly. It's more of a curiosity. And so I don't know the current state of that, but I do know, yeah, there's, well, I mean, there's already the, the, uh, for like next apps and, and server and Gatsby, there's already things where they're they're the server side render the styles to make sure you get the critical style, so you don't get that slash of unstyled yeah. list when it first gets rendered. So there there is already a way that they do critical kind of CSS, but like a full on replacing style components, being able to like create all the potential styles at build time. I think there's there's a lot of technical issues to to resolve as you start going down down that rabbit hole especially when you have like dynamic styling being created based off of different types of props. There's no, sometimes no way to know all the styles that will happen at build time. Yeah. Cause you have to like, I think like to make it work, you'd have to, cause I guess for our listeners that might not be familiar. I mean, this is CSS and JavaScript basically means JavaScript is applying all your CSS. And so that means when your component gets rendered, there's a bit of JavaScript that has to run that basically just, applies all those styles and just the, the dynamic nature of CSS and JavaScript, like, because sometimes you can have a property that's dependent on something. And so if, if it's dependent on something, well, then you can't possibly put it in at build time because the build doesn't know what value it needs. It's going to be dependent on some sort of user input. So I don't know. It's I view it as sort of a, it's, it's just a classic develop, development trade-off, like, I, I mean, you get a lot of advantages from having CSS and JavaScript, and there's a small runtime performance penalty, but most apps, that's going to be fairly irrelevant. Like, it's the sort of thing. I, I'm curious, too, if you've ever, like, noticed any sort of hit, or is, is it noticeable? Is it... Uh... I've never noticed it as far as, like, it's never impacted any type of, like, like Lighthouse score or anything that yeah. I've yeah. ever dealt with, especially if you're dealing with, like, if you incorporate the the uh like the Gatsby the server-side rendering part of it. In fact, there's some really 
good benefits where you can send down just the critical styles. And so you actually sometimes can get some good performance benefits on the initial run because you, you're not sending down a separate style sheet that has to be loaded. You can send down in the, the actual HTML all the styles that it needs right there. And it get you get some quick. So yeah, but I'm saying there there's some, definitely some runtime benefits, but like there's also benefits that on the other side that you can get from a, adopting something like this. Yeah, because I think also your CSS, like like you said, the critical styles. I mean, the CSS purist approach is oftentimes shipping one gigantic CSS file where, and there's a problem instead of doing that, right? Whereas with CSS and JS, you're getting just the the component styles you need, like just in time, sort of situation as well so and then it's, you get into the like with the large style sheets that then you have to you can start doing things like chunking where you only create styles per page or things like that yeah but from my understanding i don't think there's a build tool yet that can properly do that without some other thing like css modules or something else that like is doing something else to those style sheets to be able to properly like chunk out those those style sheets at build time and so you're going to have to adopt something other than just pure CSS or manually just know this page only has these styles and manually just have keep all that domain knowledge in your head. What page has what styles on it? Yeah, exactly. You can do it, but it's not fun. It, it involves some sort of like webpack magic or like, you know, you have to be really diligent if you want to be able to pull that off. So Travis, I'm curious. You started out building bedrock layout primitives. You built your own layout framework did how did how did newline come to this did they approach you did you find them did you say hey i want to share this with the world how did that happen where you actually made a course based on a lot of what you've put into this this system it was interesting nate the founder of newline i just was walking around hobby lobby with my wife one day and all of a sudden i just got a notification and I'll be honest, I was more interested in not watching my wife pick out more Christmas decorations. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was happy to like, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. My, I love my wife and she makes the house look beautiful, but like she loves that way more than I do. <laughs> but anyway, so I was just trying to find something interesting and I got that email. So I decided to read it and it was, yeah, Nate's like, hey, I really like this. This is some interesting concepts. Have you thought about teaching before? And I was like, yeah, I've thought about it. Just didn't know really how to like kind of break into it. And we had a good conversation talked about like where I thought a course like this would be good. Ultimately, it came to the conclusion of let's make a course that recreates the library. So it teaches people what the underlying principles are. So what, that's really what the course is, is that we recreate bedrock layout primitives throughout the entire course. Mm-hmm. And then we end on, well, let's just use the library to show you how it's done. But like, if you don't want to adopt it, you now have the skills to go create your own layout library in whatever form you need. Are you ready for core web vitals? Fortunately, Raygun can help. These modern performance metrics play an important role in determining the health of your website, which is why Raygun has baked them directly into their real user monitoring tools. Now you can see your core web vital scores are trending across your entire website in real time and drill into individual pages to focus your efforts on the biggest performance gains. Unlike traditional tools, Raygun surfaces real user data, not synthetic, giving you greater insights and control. Filter your score by timeframe, browser, device, geolocation, whatever matters to you most. And what makes Raygun truly unique is the level of detail they provide so you can take action. Quickly identify and resolve front-end performance issues with full waterfall breakdowns, user session data, instance-level diagnostics of every page request, 
and a whole lot more. Visit Raygun.com today and take control of your core web vitals. Plans start from as little as $8 per month. That's Raygun.com for your free 14-day trial. Yeah, I like that approach a lot. I mean, there's, <laughs> there is, I think it's common for React developers to be confused by these sorts of concepts, right? Like, I, I mean, it's super common Google topics, uh, how to how to build a grid, how to do responsive layouts, all these types of things. So I, I think it's a really smart approach. But you you're still like speaking React developers' language. So it's not just like here's the CSS syntax, but like here's more of a pragmatic approach of how you could build something like this for your own apps or to solve your own specific problems you might have. Yeah, and it was actually interesting things that like as I was building this course, I kind of came to the realization that like CSS education gets stuck at like 1999 like way it was taught and no one teaches how to do css in a modern frick component-based framework style like where specifically meaning like what which element should have which styles and who should own the styles which style properties and things that and i just realized like these are just things i picked up along the way but a new person does what I used to do, which is like, let's throw mud on the wall and see what sticks. It works. Don't touch my CSS, everybody. The web, the website looks right. <laughs> and not really understanding like why, like principles, like we have in, in JavaScript or or other just major programming languages, things like encapsulation, like tools that we use, like patterns that we follow to make sure that we don't build like spaghetti code. But no one, we don't really have that in CSS. We get like things like BEM and all that, but that's more of like like maintaining like class names than it is like what style should go on each of these classes. So I kind of took a step back and spent a whole like module about like those kind of principles that I've learned. I and I ended up calling the encapsulated CSS. I like it. That's pretty catchy. <laughs> Maybe you'll catch so, on. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's definitely the chance of that. So if somebody was to go to New Line and go to your course, what could they expect from the different modules or lessons that you go through? So yeah, we start off with like just those foundation principles, like like what it what's the concept of composition as far as just what is composition in general and how does that apply to layouts specifically and how to think like and i give an example of a hero where like sometimes we think of this as like individual parts like here's my hero top here's the biggest hero here's my left side here's the right side of the hero and instead of thinking of that as like what i'm trying to accomplish is i need a menu bar that's in line i need to vertically center some things i need to stack these things over here and think of these as like parts that can be composed together to ultimately create a hero but like these are much smaller items that we call primitives layout primitives so we can think of think of it that way then it goes more into like encapsulated css how to do css reset in a composable way so don't go into all the things that people reset but just like what needs to be reset in the browser so you can make layout composition possible and then from there the next few modules just goes into i divide the components into from bedrock into two different styles there's the what I call the spacers, which are designed to like space things out consistently in different directions. And then what I call like the wrappers, things that wrap components and kind of inject styles. Things like if you're looking at the library, there's a center component that like wraps it and creates that centered look. There's the pad box, which tries to create that same padding spacing scheme that you use for, for spacing things apart from each other, just incorporates things like that. And then we end, I actually grabbed from Tailwind like UI, just one of their like random like 
pictures and I'm like, we're going to recreate this entire thing in, in a high contrast. I didn't want to get into like the, the colors or things like that, but we're going to recreate all these things in a high contrast design system style, but use all the layout components that we've already learned and build the same thing. And that's what the whole like final module is just building a whole page like that. So you mentioned early on that this is your first open source project. So for folks out there who are thinking about open sourcing their own project, like what kind of challenges did you run into in open sourcing this one? So this is my first, like, I would say real open source. I've, I've got a bunch of stuff on GitHub and I've published <laughs> things to NPM in the past just to learn. But like, this is the first time I like said, I'm going to open source this with the thought of like, let's do this, like a real open source library. So the biggest thing that I would say is like, don't like wait, like just do it. Don't try to like, and don't try to solve everyone's problems. I think the thing that has been the most successful for me is only solve problems for your user. And right now your user is you. So just solve your problems and don't try to solve the problems of everybody else. There was, I started to go down a path because I thought this is how I thought people would use it. And then Clavio, when they came in and said, hey, we want to adopt this, this is what we need. It was like totally not where I was thinking it was going. And luckily, I, it was at an early enough time that I could back out some of those things and move in that other direction. If I had been maybe even like further down the line, because luck, luckily, I hadn't gone that far because I also have a day job that I have to like work on every single day. So I had mentally thought out and I had put some foundations, but I hadn't gone all the way to where I couldn't back out. And luckily I didn't. And I would say that in hindsight, there's some other things that I've thought about. I'm like it would be cool if, but it's not really solving anyone's real problem. I've decided not to add it. It's just on a this would be cool if maybe. And then, and I maybe there might be some good place to put that on the webpage. Like, hey, this is where I'm thinking I might go. You guys tell me if you think it this is the right way. But I don't, I've decided not to adopt anything unless it's solving anyone's real world problems. So Yagni still works. In the That's library just model. what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. And which is fun because like I think it's fun for people. This definitely scratches my itch of like, let's try to build some hypothetical things. And there may even still be some opportunities where it, as long as it doesn't interrupt the actual like foundation, the foundation APIs to add some experimental things under that, like React does, where they throw make you like put in that thing at the beginning like experimental underscore and then what they think the name of the api is i think there's some opportunities to do things like that to still play around with it add it get some opinions from the community as this grows but in a very deliberate way that it doesn't break anything and can be backed out at any given point so another random question i noticed that for your documentation for bedrock you're using storybook and which is a very design system like thing I'm, i'm curious maybe you could uh explain like why Storybook, uh, and maybe explain like what it is for listeners that aren't super familiar as well. Storybook, yeah, is is originally created by just some, I don't know his name off the top of my head. It was a very React-specific thing and it allowed you to create components in an isolated way. But the he eventually kind of didn't want to maintain it like a lot, a lot of single maintainers do. And Chromatic really looked at this as like, hey, this is like, in our wheelhouse, we're going to just take this over. So the current version of Storybook is is maintained by the Chromatic company. I guess it's, <laughs> I don't know. I can't speak very well. But yeah, like they're uh, the the reason why I adopted it allowed me to. Chromatic has a free open source tier where I can do visual regression testing, and so as much as like your unit tests are 
good for a visual library, you need visual regression testing because like you could technically change the CSS under the hood and I might get like that come up. I have a bunch of snapshot tests in the library and I'll say, hey, your snapshot failed, but like, did it really fail if the visual didn't change, if the layout still exactly works exactly the same way? So yeah, it was really important for me to adopt that and Storybook just integrates 100% perfectly with chromatic and then i used to have a different i used to be use docs d-o-k-z or d-o-c-z sorry which is built off of gatsby to as my doc site but i got really kind of sick of recreating like the same examples that i was also recreating in my stories and then i was just going through their documentation on storybook found out there is a theming option where you can actually theme it give it some like your layouts your different things and it just works and i and you Switching over the stories to use MDX, I can also then add extra content around these stories and explanations that I might. I'm just, it's just me. I don't have a lot of time here. So, any t- way that I can like, like make something really cool happen, let's do it. So, I just like, let's make Storybook my documentation website as well and just incorporate MDX. Yeah, because it's kind of like docs and tests at the same time in a sense. There, it's not been 100% perfect. I've lost some of the initial performance because the way storybook works is it loads the initial html but then like all of your the the documents every time you click on one of those things it's loading up an iframe and so i get this like probably anywhere from one to three seconds worth of like the loading spinner so i get something it's not like nothing's appearing but like if i if i was had the time to do this right i would have like at least the first page be like server-side generated but like if i i was in a perfect world i would dog food all these components and like totally build the whole website out using layout bedrock layouts i just (laughs) don't have the time to do that the only page that's using bedrock layouts is just that landing page when you get there then everything else other than the stories themselves they're just whatever storybook comes up with yeah code sandbox can be another good way to do that you know give people an actual like editable playground they can go into and say, oh, this is cool. I like that. You know, and they'll try and like bring in their own content into the, the inline and see if it actually inlines the right way. And, oh, okay, cool. I'll, I'll grab that, put that in, you know, and that works for me. Uh, yeah, I've actually looked like Tanner Lindsley for a lot of like his commands, like React Table. He incorporates a lot of those like code sandboxes, which are really great. And I really would like to, that's on the roadmap mentally of what I would like to do because it's one thing to see it in code, but like to then go and click on it, play around with that code, fork it, do some other things. There, there's a lot of power to to getting adoption that way. Yeah, I think if you're going to take a mentor in terms of who to follow when it comes to like managing open source projects and, and doing that, Tanner Inslee would be like really one of the top of that list. It's such he a good was, job. He does a great job. And one that I used to take the train. I'm currently living in the Salt Lake City, Utah area, which is where Tanner's based out of. Hmm. And he took the same train I did to work for a while. And we used to like just geek out the entire train ride for like 45 minutes. And then I left and he stopped taking the train. So it worked out. But like that was like some fun times. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. Should we move on to picks? So Travis, this has been a lot of fun. Is there anything we missed? Anything that you think is super important that people know we've got the links to things like your course your course and such and your library here in the show notes is there is there anything else we we haven't touched upon that you think is important this is something that's near to me because i'm a second career dev i was originally in finance and all that and to think like 
four years ago, I'd have a library and I'd be a course author. Like I, w- I was just trying to get the job four years ago. Like, and then like, yeah. so I, I think it's really important to just like really emphasize like this is like possible. Like this isn't something for like 20 year devs that you have to like, what's it called technically like be around forever before you can start providing f- value to the rest of the world. You can start creating open source. You can start creating content, whether blogs or podcasts or whatever it is and start giving back. So I, I, that's just something I bring up a lot. And I think that's important for your listeners. I think to just know that like that, this is possible. This isn't, I'm not an exception either. Like this is like, there's a lot of people out there doing this. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great thing to do for your career for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's nice to hear that you managed to to for, first build this design system and then also make this course while still having a full-time job for anybody else who's thinking that that's not possible, that you either go fully into the course creation and quit your job and put all of your eggs in one basket, or you don't have time because you have a nine to five and a family and kids and friends and the whole rest of your life. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I have I have four kids, and I, I'm married, and th- there's different times where like they they definitely while I was in the thick of like recording, they had to do some things to help me out, but like they knew that it had an end. Like finding proper boundaries around these, you can still get things done. Yeah, I think the other thing too is you can bring like if you are newer, sometimes you can bring different perspectives. Like I, I think the point you brought up that CSS education is stuck in like the '90s, and I think part of that is because a lot of the people that are doing CSS education now were also doing it in the '90s, right? It's like sometimes you need some fresh, fresh perspectives, fresh blood entering some of these spaces because you can provide value that some some people can't because you do get stuck in your ways on certain things for sure. Oh, one hundred percent. And they, they call that was the, the uh, I can't think of the, but like having that knowledge sometimes becomes a detriment in being able to communicate that as a teacher. Yeah. Sometimes like, you know, like low level that like what you're technically saying might not be 100% accurate, but is the right mental model, at least for someone new. And so yeah. sometimes you get that conflictedness as a teacher, like, cause you're like, technically that's not what's happening, but like, that's the, let me like, this is the right way to think about it for now so you can be successful. Yep. It's interesting that, yeah, I mean, when you think about CSS and JS, people, it's like, oh, wow, I'll just use JS and move my stuff around in JS. Well, you still have to understand what's the CSS. You still have to understand paddings and margins and positions and f- display types and all of that, right? You, just, you can't, it's still CSS. It's just a different way to actually get the CSS attached to the never-ending list of divs. Oh, one hundred percent, and under and you still need to keep up with all the new changes. Like I was just looking today, and the uh, the nested CSS just got its first working draft out there. So CSS is an ever changing model, and and maybe we'll get to the point where we don't need as much JS. But like, it's still important to understand what's coming out there. It's kind of like learning ES six and not learning the rest of JavaScript that's happened since then, or even earlier than that. Only learning like ES five or ES3 and then not paying attention to everything that's coming out. You gotta in you need to pay attention to what's coming out, even if it's just like just watching, following someone else who like dives deep into it, like someone like Rachel Andrew or Jen Simmons, who are like part of the CSS working group, but also create wonderful content around what's coming out in CSS, what's the new and latest and greatest. I think that's a fantastic JavaScript analogy. You know, if there are people who, there are developers who have started who only know async await, for instance, and don't understand the promises that came before them or the callback hell that brought on promises. 
And it's that kind of foundational underpinning that even if you don't use it or just being aware of it and knowing that that's what came before helps helps you understand why it is that we're we're doing what we're doing now and way, the way the web has been built since then. So it's a great, great analogy. And I think that's a pretty good point to wrap up on. So why don't we go ahead and segue into our picks? Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. Paige, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I am happy to kick us off. And it's funny because Travis is authoring a course for New Line, and I am in the process just about a month and a half behind him of doing the same. Mine is on enterprise React applications. So it's it's a little bit of a different bent and how to modernize those. But one thing that I've been doing in addition to writing the course is now I'm into the process of actually recording videos to go along with each lesson. And one of the things that was recommended to me as a great tool to edit those videos once you're done with the actual recording is a a program called DaVinci Resolve. And it is a freemium type of program where it comes with a whole lot of bells and whistles, probably most of which I won't even end up touching. But as you need more and more high quality options and you make this your full-time job of maybe being an editor for commercials and movies and things like that. They have things that you can purchase and add on to make yourself even more efficient as an editor. So I am going to go ahead and recommend DaVinci Resolve because of all the stuff that it comes with right out of the box. And then as you get better, as you become more skilled at it and maybe start your own YouTube or, or go into that kind of realm and industry of video editing and recording, it, you might need some of that stuff. So it's a very cool tool. And there's lots of good tutorials and videos on YouTube about getting started with it, which were also very helpful for me. So that's what I'm going to recommend. Awesome. Jack, you want to go next? Sure. Well, I got to go to the movies again. Yes. So nice. And uh, yeah, we went to go see Shang-Chi and it yeah. was in the new Marvel flick. And it was absolutely fantastic. I, I Best Marvel movie I've seen in a while. And it was great to see that the plot was not as kind of black and white as you expect from American kind of superhero movies. Like there's evil, there's good, you know, everything is very nuanced. And I thought that that was a nice refreshing change from the kind of just simple plots that we've seen in the past. Yeah. I haven't Um, seen it yet. I'm excited to check it out. Oh yeah. Uh, It's our opening night as a family and without giving spoilers away as a father, the, some final moments there, like actually hit me really hard. (laughs) Oh Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. That's as far as I'll go as far as spoilers go. Yeah, I saw it last weekend too. Great movie. I think you'll really enjoy it, TJ. Take the kids. I love it. Oh, yeah. My pick is not movie related. I'm going to pick Svelte. Maybe we should do like an entire episode on Svelte at at some point. But I I got put on a project. Yeah, I got put on a project that uses Svelte. So I got sort of thrown in the, the deep end. And like the TLDR is, I mostly like it. I, there's like some, like the small syntactical differences. It's, it's simpler than React, which I kind of like. There's fewer like sort of 
crazy topics that I feel like in React can take a long time to learn. I think the downside, and maybe this is a short-term thing, but it's because I think because it has a smaller community Googling things, like when you run into advanced, like simple problems, right? Like you you look them up and it's fine. But like when you really start to get into like, okay, I'm building a production app and I have some serious workflows on it. Like I ran into some snags with like a unit testing setup and getting some strange errors. And I'm on like some random GitHub repos with like five stars and like <laughs> trying to decide what I should trust and what I shouldn't. So that that's been the downside, but I, I don't know. It, if Svelte keeps getting more popular, maybe some of that'll start to resolve itself over time. But I think if you've been on the fence, if you've been meaning to just sort of experiment with it, I think it's worth a shot, right? Like build something really simple and trivial just because it's it does have some interesting ways of approaching problems. It's fairly similar to React high level, right? You're building the same sort of thing, but I think some of the choices they take are, are interesting and I prefer them a bit. So I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, the reactivity part of it is really cool. Yep. Well, cool. Uh, Travis, what picks do you have? I can throw two real quick. One is there. there's a Discord org server called the React Podcast Discord server created by Michael Chan, Chantastic, whatever. And he's not making a lot of podcasts anymore, but the server was created around that podcast originally, but it's evolved into something way more than that at this point. There's a lot of other content creators. There's a lot of people from the core Redwood JS community just hanging out there. Some really cool, just some really good people who are really supportive, willing to like totally help. I've started Twitch streaming and just maintain as I build, maintain the Bedrock library. And it was some of those people on there who helped get me started and helped give me the confidence to start Twitch streaming as well. So yeah, I definitely give that as a pick. And then Ted Lasso season two is just yes. mind-blowingly <laughs> amazing. And I thought Ted Lasso season one was like unbelievably like amazing. Like I I just associated with the commercials, which were funny, but that season one like took it to where I didn't think it was going. And season two is building on top of season one in a fantastic way. Awesome. It is also on my list. I feel like yeah, I feel like yeah. I'm always behind in these things. So that's also on my <laughs> list to check out. <laughs> Well, Travis, this has been a ton of fun. I've definitely learned quite a few. My my last question for you, if people want to check you out, follow you, all these sorts of things, what sort of social links do you do you have for us? I have, on Twitter, I'm Travis Waithmare in Camel Case. And then I'm not consistent in my social media. My GitHub is Jarvis1010 from my high school nickname. And I blog on Medium, but I, you can go to non-traditional.dev and they'll take you to my Medium blog. Awesome. Well, we will get those in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us. This is this has been a lot of fun. This is super fun. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. All right. See everybody until next week. See you next time. See you then. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.